When Lexi was 19, she took a trip to the Czech Republic, and she wrote all about it in her journal. I'm currently in a country that used to be communist. That's weird. I can't believe I'm in the Czech Republic. They only have an outhouse, though, and that doesn't work, so today I'm <laughs> on the ground. That's Lexi, reading about her adventures in the great Czech outdoors. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Hello, it's nice to see you. How you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Park Theatre in Winnipeg, we have a steamy trip to third base, the monster from the Black Lagoon, and a love square, which is one side more complicated than a love triangle. Why look back at this stuff? Well, because sometimes the best way to figure out who we are is to start by looking at who we were. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Over the years, we've heard about a lot of love triangles. But at our Winnipeg show, we heard about a love square. When Gabrielle was 15, she found out just how complicated and messy young love can be. And she wrote about it in a series of journal entries. Now, a quick heads up, Gabrielle uses some cuss words, which we do not bleep. There is your heads up. Here's Gabrielle. April 14th or 15th, bitches. (laughs) Later in life, I'll write a book about my adventures with men. (laughs) So Garrett, apparently we are dating, comes over and we play smoochie pie on the couch. He is one of the roughest, eagerest people I've ever kissed. He was pressing against me so hard, I swore my neck was going to buckle the wrong way. When he left, I went bowling and to Pizza Hut with work friends, including Denny. Damn him, I love that guy so much. Or at least I think I do. So that was fun. And then me and Denny talked on MSN for like three hours. And basically, he loves me and doesn't know I'm dating someone, and I love him, but he's a hardcore atheist, which just won't work. (laughs) Point is, we met at 3 a.m. in the morning and sat in a field. The majority of our talking is done over MSN, and I was sick of it. Our relationship is fucked as it is. He tried to kiss me, though. I do have a BF. And I pulled away saying, it will make things worse. Yeah, but I would rather have one and suffer than nothing. (laughs) No, just one. Let's go inside. I hate who he turns into around me. This jelly-boned, head-hanging, deep-breathing, massive blabber-blubber. I like guys who can hold their ground, but buckle ever so often. I'm such a bitch. I have a boyfriend. Honesty will not do me well. Anyways, I walked home listening to Nine Inch Nails, Denny's fave band, and now I'm cuddling with my favorite man of all, my cat Olive. Good night. April 16th. So I realized I must be at the stage with my mom where I literally disagree with every word she says. Like, she just agitates me. I work today. Denny came in. That was weird. He tried to kiss me last night. 
but I don't blame him. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have basically, after months of beating around the bush, decided that there was no way we'd ever be together. I know, I have a boyfriend. And so we met at 2.30 a.m. to talk about it. I should have known melodramatic Denny considered it the one last time sort of night, and well, I thought I would oblige. It's like he thought. Tonight was the one night we will be together no matter what happens after, no matter which ways we go. Tonight we can break the rules and pretend religion and beliefs and boundaries don't exist. <laughs> if he knew I had been dating someone or am dating someone, he would probably kill me. Literally, he would kill me. Not to say it wasn't surreal, not to say it wasn't nice. I mean, I do love him back. All we did was sit in a dark, wet field and talk about stockbroking. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was innocent, and I wouldn't have felt a smidgen of guilt if he wouldn't have tried to kiss me. I felt so vicious, turning away. Then I woke up this morning to an angry mom who knew I'd left the house. It was nice, considering I'd gotten three hours of sleep. Anyways, I went to work. Was okay. Got asked to another boy's grad, Garrett, another Garrett. I'm already, going, I'm already going to Denny's grad, which I don't think I should because apparently it was our last night and I don't know if going to his grad is a good idea. So I said to Garrett, I'll think about it. But meanwhile, I have a boyfriend who doesn't know I'm going to anyone's grad. <laughs> I think it seems like I'm completely ignoring the fact that I'm dating Garrett, the other Garrett. But, <laughs> but truthfully, I feel like I can't make any deep or, and true connections to him, so it feels like we're just good friends. We'll see how that plays out. Wow, I'm completely out of words to say. Gabrielle. A few days later... Lord knows I have a way of making everything I write in this journal so damn matter-of-fact. Like it's just regular day stuff with no emotional attachment whatsoever. <laughs> I leave things unsaid for so long. A few days after my last entry, I broke up with Garrett, and he confessed to only wanting to date me for physical purposes. <laughs> Dickwad. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't fair to him either. I mean, I didn't even really like him. Literally, literally the same day, or was it the very next day? I find myself, oh wait, it was the same day. I hung out with Jason and hooked up. <laughs> then the next day, I found myself stargazing once again with my dear Denny, and he decides to kiss me. Bad kisser to start with. Still, I had thought about it for so long. Anyways, that moment started me down the path I am currently walking. Behind the backs of our families, Denny and I are dating. It's weird, he's not really my type, I think. But I think I really care about him. I think I'll need to cut Britney from my life. I say that casually, but trust me, it's so hard. I mean, it's just, it's not for good, just until she can calm her life down. That's it. Is sitting in a dark, wet field talking about stockbrokering a thing here in Winnipeg? Is that... It's foreplay, someone said. <laughs> when Ariane was 11, she felt the way a lot of 11-year-olds do, caught in between being a little kid and almost a teenager. And at our Winnipeg show, she read a few journal entries that get at exactly that. April 4th. Hey, really long time no talk. Okay, for a while now, America has been at war against Iraq. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> but I do know that the mayor of Iraq <laughs> and his sons 
kill people for fun. <laughs> and that they're all crazy. <laughs> and they, in brackets, America, might be taking Canadians if they run out of Americans. <laughs> it's really sad. <laughs> I did something kind of bad. I feel really bad about it, though. Okay, well, first of all, there's this funky site, www.neopets.com. And me and Brooklyn have this username, fire underscore baby 308. And we had 11,798 neopoints. And I spent it. Uh, I bought an angel puss, a greeble, a pet pet Christmas paintbrush that I figured out I can't even use, and a jeweled collar and I can't, that I can't put on my Neopets and food and all this other crap. And for a trade, I gave away 5,000 Neopoints. I'm so stupid. I can't make up that kind of money. And worse, what am I going to tell Brooklyn? Oh yeah, poogle racing. I bet 200 Neopoints and I lost. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm gonna write down the best possible lies. Number one, I signed in and all of our money was gone. <laughs> and then I looked in our items and two pet pets were there and so was a pet pet Christmas paintbrush. <laughs> Number two, my computer froze so I couldn't even go on. <laughs> Number three, oh my gosh, are you serious? <laughs> um, okay, how about those? I think three will work. Yeah, three. Oh my gosh, are you serious? You haven't been on the whole day. <laughs> yep, that's a keeper. But I don't want to lie. If I lie this time, I won't lie ever again or do anything bad, I promise. Okay, now that that's settled, some stupid idiot that I don't know kept calling me and my family poor. He called my clothes stupid and said we couldn't afford even one Pop-Tart. <laughs> and then I kicked him real hard in the knee. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, Grown-ups read things they wrote as kids would like to remind you that even if someone calls you poor, violence is not the answer. <laughs> Growing Up is a series of firsts, and our next reader, Alice, brought along a journal entry all about one of her most embarrassing firsts. A quick heads up, in this journal entry, Alice acknowledges the existence of sex. There's your heads up. Here's Alice. If you were to see what I would normally be writing on a regular day, you would realize that I am just an average 15-year-old girl. Not today, though. Today is different. Today, I'm special. Why? Tonight is the first time I've gone to third base. I'm glad it's in this situation. I'm with Sean, in his sauna, in our bathing suits, hot and sweaty, and we're in this point in our relationship. In the past, while talking to friends, I've always said that I would spit, but... <laughs> Thank you. 
at the time, it seemed better to swallow. <laughs> oh, well. T-T-Y-L, Alice. <laughs> now, the embarrassing thing about Alice's journal entry isn't that she went to third base in a sauna with Sean. No, the embarrassing part is that two days after she wrote that entry, she went to a summer training camp and a group of mostly boys read her journal without permission. At the time, I was pretty embarrassed. News traveled fast about my amazing entry, and soon I was the butt of everyone's blowjob jokes. But I happened to be pretty confident and sassy as a 15-year-old girl. Instead of getting mad about the invasion of privacy, she decided to get even. So Alice crafted a second journal entry, this one entirely fictional, and she left it for the boys to find. The thing is, the second entry was written specifically to be super embarrassing for one of the boys in particular. My two friends and I plotted the revenge post and set the boys up to take the bait, and it was perfect. June 3rd. Dear nobody, right now I am in Minnedosa, Manitoba with my kayaking team. Today, I fell in the lake a lot because I kept on thinking about things that excited me. They were giving me mini orgasms. <laughs> like Kevin's dad, Ed. <laughs> I have never talked to you about Ed before, but he's an older guy, 52 years old. <laughs> but I find him very attractive in a weird way. Anyway, I have to go do some stuff now. Love you always, Alice. <laughs> if I could go back to being a 15-year-old me, I would tell her that she nailed it and that she still, and did then, have good taste in men. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. A lot of the things people read on our stage are funny more weird or cringeworthy. But sometimes the things people bring to grown-ups read things they wrote as kids are bittersweet or difficult to share. When Shauna was 17 years old, she had dropped out of high school. She was living on her own and working to support herself. And she says her absent and emotionally abusive father had called her late one night to lecture her. So she wrote him a letter in response, and she's going to read that letter for us this evening. Please welcome to our stage, Shauna. Dad, I've taken a couple of days to think about the things you said to me the other night. At first, I wasn't even sure you actually called and that it wasn't just a bad dream. I think it was very inconsiderate of you to call after midnight. 
I was taken by surprise and wasn't able to defend myself against one of your lectures. Because of this, I was unable to get any sleep, and my performance at work the next day lacked greatly. I believe it's my turn to say what has to be said. First of all, to catch up on and further my education is a very nice dream for the future. I would certainly enjoy going back to school, socializing, and just having a part-time job. But let's face reality. Is either one of my parents willing to support me completely and unconditionally? If, by chance, you were willing to pay my rent, as well as tuition, books, etc., I couldn't help but wonder, if I happened to get a bad grade or even fail a course, if it would be held against me, perhaps even threatening my stability or living conditions. And then you had the nerve to end the conversation with, well, if you ever need anything, money. Well, I have too much pride in myself to accept anything that I know has its price, and I make it a habit not to beg. I am not a child anymore. I am now a legal adult, and I expect to be treated as one. As for the child support you are currently sending, it would be greatly appreciated if you would continue sending it through the courts until April, as previously agreed upon. Regarding the threat of discontinuing the money immediately, all I can say is, it was unappreciated and eye-opening. It's very sad when you realize that a relationship between a father and a daughter can be threatened by money. What's even more disturbing is that I was just beginning to believe after your last visit that we had a real relationship starting, not the fake daddy-baby-girl routine that has evolved over the years. We have never agreed on much, and probably never will, but I refuse to sacrifice things I believe in for a relationship based on money. Until now, I have always considered you a father, not a $300 check. It's too bad you don't consider me a daughter instead of a tax write-off. I've always loved you. You are my father. And I'm sure you love me, but there is a difference. Your love is conditional. Mine isn't. I just hope someday we can have a genuine relationship before it's too late. I know I'll never be your ideal little girl. You are the one that has to accept it, though. I haven't been truly happy for a long time now. I am very determined to not let anything stand in the way of my own happiness and peace of mind. You might want to disregard this letter by thinking it's coming from the overweight, rebellious daughter of an alcoholic mother and abusive father, and that's your right. But no matter what you think, life and people don't fit into your nice and neat little categories, and I certainly don't. I am a unique adult with unique and genuine feelings, and probably one of the very few people close to you who has enough guts to tell you how I really feel for the first time in my life. Thank you. Hi, Dan. It's Shauna from Winnipeg. I did send the letter that I wrote to my father. Unfortunately, I never received a verbal response. After he received it, we didn't speak for a few months. At the time, I felt that I had to stand up for myself, whatever the cost to our relationship. I knew that I was able to take care of myself, 
and that knowledge made me fearless. I was independent, supporting myself, and was proud of my accomplishments. If I could go back in time and give myself some advice, I would say to never doubt your strength and your worth. There will be people who judge you and who only want to be a part of your life if you are successful in their eyes. Hold out for the ones who love you unconditionally. They exist, and you do find them. When Carson was six or maybe seven, he wrote a short story called The Monster of the Black Lagoon, or that's the translation anyway. You see, Carson's story was originally written in French, so the title was actually Le Monstre de la Lagoon Noire. So this was, I believe, not an immersion piece of work. Please welcome to our stage, Carson. Warning, this book is inappropriate for younger readers. Reader description is advised. Uh, Okay, this is the story of the monster of the Black Lagoon, and I tried to keep all the same syntax errors that they were in French, now in English. It was a day in the village of Lassia. Mike and his dad, Benjamin, were at KFC for dinner. Mike saw a lagoon outside the window. Papa, papa, said Mike. It's a lagoon. Can I go see? No, said Benjamin. It's dangerous. Mike went anyways. <laughs> and he saw the monster of the black lagoon and Blan, a big eye. Blan is not an exclamation. It is the name of a large eye. <laughs> Mike was scared. Huh? The water disappeared. Papa, said Mike. Did you drink all the water? Yes, said the dad. I drank the water, and the monster of the Black Lagoon and Blan have left for this time. Another day, Mike visited the lagoon to find souvenirs. Mike saw a monster. Ah, says Mike. Hello, says the monster. I am Saratois. Another monster arrives. I am Coney, says the second monster. Not the other Coney. Uh, The monster of the Black Lagoon and Blan have returned, says Coney. They were all scared. Mike made a trap to trap the monster of the Lagoon and Blan, the giant eye. They were all captured by the trap and could never, ever leave. Everyone was happy, and they all celebrated. The end. When Laura was 17, she wrote a poem professing her love, not for another human being, but for chocolate. Ode to a chocolate bar. You, sweet, succulent wafer, with your milk chocolate filling, calling my name, you devil within me. Your milk chocolate undercoating, sweetly hardening to a perfect ripple. How dare you look at me that way? Into the wrapper you go. Sealed away, 
you nasty piece of chocolate heaven or of hell. My love for you growing stronger and true. My needing you, you needing preservation. Taken from me, sealed into a box for the deportation out of my life. Will I ever have you melting in the palm of my hand again? Oh God, where are you? Take care of my chocolate sin. May your journeys be exciting. From the 7-Eleven to the Beckers around the corner. Think of me often, you little Snickers. May your next affair be with hands as milky as ours. Someday we will meet again, you, me, and 96 cents. <laughs> then our affair will begin again, as you melt in my mouth and not in my hand. Oh, you sweet chocolate bar, ode to my chocolate bar. Thank you. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Park Theater in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone, and our intern is Olivia Nashmi. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is an independent production supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can support the show, visit grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. That's also where you can join our email newsletter where we announce upcoming live events. One more time, that's grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>